All right, I gotta know. Yes, I'm about to activate it. No, 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 not that. What the hell does Cree mean? Well, actually, it means a lot of things. Um, loosely translated, it means uh, attention, listen up, concentrate. You who? Yes, in a manner of speaking. Huh. Okay. Here goes. Korean it's Stargate Party people, welcome back to the podcast, it's been a minute, it's been a couple of months, again, maybe you didn't notice or didn't care, but for me, time's passed and I've forgotten everything about Stargate in the meantime, of course, and now I'm back to it, doing a few uh, this week, um, we're finishing off season four, season four has been so good, so good, um, it, they just get better and better. Season 3 was bitchin'. Season 4, amazing. Season 5, I gotta be honest, I don't remember a whole lot about it, but I know that there's some incredible episodes in Season 5 that I'm very much looking forward to, including the whole ending arc and where they take that, and I'm gonna stop foreshadowing that as much as I possibly can for you guys who have never seen it, and probably even you guys who have seen it, uh, probably like, Andy, shut up. <laughs> Anyway, this episode, Double Jeopardy, written by Robert C. Cooper, directed by Michael Shanks. Good lord. So that's uh, five points for a director cameo, because Michael Shanks is in the episode, and he's the director of the episode. Um, so it begins with what? Clouds, sunny sky, and this this planet. It's, if I'm not very much mistaken, the exact same location they filmed the episode, The Knox. And probably a bunch of others, of course. Uh, SG-1 comes through with old-style weapons and old-style haircuts. <laughs> and it's, you know, right around season three and four, they really kind of get into their classic, quote-unquote, classic Stargate swing of things. And from then on, everything looks just perfectly normal. But season one and two... God damn, they look weird. Everybody's hair is weird and the uniforms aren't quite sort of modernized and their weapons are slightly goofy looking and antiquated <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> when you think of Stargate SG-1, you think of the P90s. That's what I'm saying. And the uh, the shorter haircuts. The do. <laughs> so, I didn't... um really remember what was happening in this episode, um, and then I sort of, like, vaguely recalled that at one point this episode was gonna happen. Oh yeah, those robots are still running around. So, anyway, let me just stop you right here. The SG-1 that comes through the gate at the beginning of the episode, it's, it's the robot SG-1. So, Remember, everybody, we've just seen in the near the end of Series 4, there's an episode called The Light, where it because of their narcotic addiction, or whatever the hell it was, a virus, <laughs> they were going to have to stay on that planet for months and months and months and months, because they couldn't leave the proximity of the thing. And Sam Carter and Jack O'Neill are walking along the beach, 
and he's like, hey, you're supposed to call me sir. And she's like, oh, are you kidding? You seriously think I'm going to keep that shit up if we're stuck here forever, Jack? You know, you know, in, in that little cute conversation, even though they were getting, the, the whole point is that they were kind of getting pissed off with each other. <laughs> in that conversation, they really reveal, like, they don't need that, they, and Sam doesn't want it, you know, there's a personal relationship behind all of that that's going to come out of this stuck together outside of the military situation. We've seen it everywhere, even going right back to Solitudes, for goodness sake, in Series 1. But apparently, <laughs> apparently, the robot SG-1 has very much kept up the, uh, the yes sir, no sir, Colonel O'Neill sir, and robot Sam and Jack have not had robot sex or broken down the robot relationship, <laughs> even though they're stuck together on this robot planet. Anyway... Um, I thought that was funny to to note <laughs> a little difference there. Wouldn't it be cool to see Robot Sam and Robot Jack? You know, just letting it all hang out. No more tension. Um, anyway, there's a one-point push and swell here because Daniel Jackson, uh, it's on Daniel Jackson when, what's his name, Darian, the local villager guy, says, How dare you return here? And it's the, the credits, and... Um, after the credits, we've got this Jafar picking up O'Neill's gear, because O'Neill's, like, wounded or whatever, and we get really good close-ups on all of the terrible, squishy, foam costumes that these Jafar have to wear that are supposed to be metal, steel, armor, maybe even made of Naquita, God knows, but instead it's just squishy, foam, rubbery fabric. <laughs> it does not stand up well in the close-ups. Um, what have we got? We've got, uh, I mean, of course... Five points needs to be awarded because it's it's body switching going on. These are the doubles, um, doppelgangers that were created, and um, another one point push and swell on Sindar. What's his name? First representative. Hail him from Cronus or whatever. He finds O'Neill. No, he says find O'Neill or whatever it is. I'm reading my notes with a couple of days in between, and I can't quite remember how it all linked together. <laughs> Anyway, um, Darian, you know, comes home from a hard night of slogging, <laughs> catching the enemies of our god. Good night, Hera. Good night, husband. <laughs> Anything interesting happened today? <laughs> oh, burn some heretics, uh, stone some non-believers. <laughs> Jesus. But anyway, O'Neill is in their tent, and he wants to talk, and, uh has that cryptic kind of clue about sending signals to each other and stuff and talking and past indiscretions, that whole story comes out, yada, 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 blah, blah. Cronus, he comes tomorrow. Of course he does. It's Stargate. <laughs> of course things are going to work out with the timing. Anyway, um, Cronus rings himself in. He's got the usual glowering, not much eye glowing going on with the gold anymore. You know, just just the usual sort of power tripping and the you know, glowering and uh, you shall do as I say and you will serve, you will be rewarded for serving me well and all of this nonsense. Typical gold. This Cronus guy, I hate him. I hate his hair. His hair is very off-putting to me. It's like all nappy and stringy and blah, blah. <laughs> Anyway, where Daniel Jackson, um, in the, the execution scene, 
they they wheeling out there, and he does. Michael Shanks does some amazing acting right here with no no words, but he communicates to O'Neill and to the team and to Darren, and you know, I'm I'm fine with this if it means that these people are going to live, and I know that once you know Cronus has moved on, his attention is gone. You're going to be there to bust everyone out, so just let them go through with this, because I don't want anyone to get killed on my account. He's saying all these things, um, with, without any words, just his eyes. That was really, really good. But anyway, Kablam! <laughs> Daniel Jackson is dead again! And I keep saying it, and I keep failing to do it. I've got to start keeping count of how many times Daniel Jackson gets killed. <laughs> how many lives is he on now? But, uh, of course, everything is fine, because he's just a robot. And, um, push and swell one point on O'Neill as Daniel Jackson's head flies off. <laughs> but anyway, um, back at the real SGC, a message is being received. Uh, the Comtria message. And I just want to say there will be absolutely no points awarded here for this recurring character. He is not beloved. <laughs> It's Harlan. Come try ya. Please, please, I'm begging you, do not open the iris. <laughs> I hate this dude so much. But his his acting is kind of cute. You know, oh, there is much danger. <laughs> Those little noises that he makes. <laughs> This is what you do. Gauge travel is very dangerous. Uh, you remember before he was the, one of the last people who didn't want to escape from his robot steamy, weird, malfunctioning planet because he thought gauge travel was too dangerous. So he's bringing all of his uh, panic right back with him. And anyway, they've got portable power packs now. That's the explanation of how they got loose. So please help. It's somebody who came through the Stargate from another world. Of course, they're going to say either... Please help, or they're going to say, You are in danger. I came toward you. <laughs> anyway, I've got 10 points here, 10 wild card points at uh, around about 17 minutes uh, in this scene where Hammond <laughs> just has this amazing, sick burn on Colonel O'Neill. You know, seems like the robot version of you is just as good as following orders as you are. Not very. <laughs> Anyway, yada yada yada, the Cronus is there, we need another plan, all of this shit get, comes together. It's just procedural stuff at this point. Um, where's Daniel Jackson in all of this? Oh, he's on a mission at the moment, he's not here. Ah, good, I give you a tick, Stargate, for doing that well. You know, I keep saying it, you should occasionally write a character out of the episode <laughs> instead of just giving everybody lines when they don't need to be there. The line sharing. So... Harlan has an address, and they dial it, but it's not Gary Jones, but it's some other tech that says Chevron 7 locked, so that's one point for saying that. Um, the gate opens, and the Sam says, the, oh, the gate isn't buried, because the connection was established. So, what the fuck? This is something I continue to struggle with, guys, is where, why, what are the, the mechanics of this? So... How is a gate being buried any different from a gate having an iris? And therefore, 
you know, if the difference is, well, there's dirt in the middle which doesn't let the uh, the connection even begin, the event horizon can't go whoosh. well then, for goodness sakes, like, do you really need to bury a gate? Can you just put stuff in, could you just put, like, hold your hand there? And it would prevent it? Like, is there a, it has to be a certain size or mass or consistency? Does it have to be matter, antimatter? <laughs> What is it that you put in the middle of a gate, apparently it's sand and dirt, that makes it not work anymore? It's so strange to me. I thought some... ah, Maybe I've worked this out before and forgotten all about it, but my assumption was when you bury the gate, um, it's just like creating an iris. Because it means that, sure, you, the, uh, the gold can dial your planet, but all the warriors they send through to, to enslave you and dominate you will just be squashed into the dirt. <sighs> Sigh. <laughs> I don't understand. Anyway, Robert O'Neill talks through the malp and, um, you know, says hello to everybody. And has, uh, Richard Dean Anderson, even with a tiny little camcorder on a different planet, just amazing <laughs> acting through this melt camera. And I gave it five points as a reference to the Terminator, if I haven't done that already, because obviously these are Terminators, and of course they're from the episode Tin Man in Series 1. Tin Man, if I only had a heart, it's the whole Wizard of Oz reference again, and um, it, it just needs five reference points on, the, on this episode. But more importantly, I sort of at this point was saying to myself, hang on, what the fuck is going on? Maybe it's been so long that I've forgotten. Why aren't the robots on SGC missions in the normal course of events? They're so useful, they're so handy, they're stronger, faster, better, like the Six Million Dollar Man. See, I didn't understand that that was a reference, so I can't give it points, because I don't get the reference, because I don't know what the fuck that is, because it was never here in New Zealand. Um... <laughs> I got that reference off the uh, the wiki page. That's how I know about it. Um, but of course, what I was forgetting is that the the power plant thing was what was keeping them on the robot planet. Is that they couldn't leave the the immediate area. But it's the power packs that have set them free. And it's very unfortunate that robot SG one um, uh, taken out of action because they were very handy. It's just like being with uh, upgrades again, you know. We take out all these gold and Jafar, kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. Too easy. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Darian has a change of heart, decides to help and everything, and the SGC decides to help as well, and so we all meet, you know, we all meet on the planet, and we're going to get the gang together, and blah, 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 blah. This is not very interesting, this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but um, all the good stuff is, of course, when Colonel O'Neill fights himself and wrestles with himself. And it's funny seeing them together, because we've seen an episode with two Carters. Uh, what was it? Point of View, where they come through the quantum mirror. <laughs> and they say then that uh, I think the... What what was it? The, the shared... The combined IQ of Earth just went up a whole lot, having two of her around <laughs> And you can only really say, if there's two colonials hanging around, that the combined IQ of Earth might have gone down a little bit. <laughs> but, of course, and, um, yeah, I, here's a note. I, I loved that Robot O'Neill um, is saying, I'm better than you. I am better. Better. 
which is Harlan's word. You'll remember the episode Tin Man. I have made you better. What do you mean, better? Oh, you will see. I have made you better. <laughs> yes. So, Robot O'Neill has been stuck with Harlan for so long that he's beginning to talk like him. Poor O'Neill. <laughs> anyway. Oh my god, I had to give it 50 points. Guys, it's the Simpsons reference points. Not scored very often, but scored in this episode. When O'Neill wrestles O'Neill, <laughs> around about 25 minutes into it, somewhere around there, he goes, Why you little... <laughs> Just like when Homer Simpson strangles Bart. <laughs> what are you little I'm nature's perfect choking machine. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's obviously Sam's lines there are very funny. As much as I'd love to see how this plays out. <laughs> anyway, I gave it ten points here again. Flipping forward a little bit when Tilk and Sam are being tortured together. There's that whole thing about which one is feeling sympathy and empathy and whatever. And is that is that there? Am I imagining this? Is there sexual tension there? Is are they romantically linked up? Is there a helicopter flying over my house? I feel like, um, you know, if they're robots, why were they, why were they programmed to feel pain or emotions and care about each other? Why not just, you know, if they're being tortured, switch that off in their brains, like Westworld or something. Pain tolerance. Zip, zip that up to ten. <laughs> but instead, they're in the tortured green laser things, and, you know, they, I don't... I don't know if it's there. I, I'm i sort of leaning towards it might be there. So that's why I'm giving it 10 points. But Samantha Carter's sexual tension, if you're stuck on a planet with somebody, maybe she hooked up with... She's, she was interested in Teal'c. Maybe that's the long-term stable solution. God. Listeners, if you feel this is an egregious problem, please write me and I'll gladly remove it. Because I'm, I'm not... It's a soft ten points on this one. It's not a hard call. <laughs> anyway. Um, one more push and swell point, because O'Neill gets captured and zoom into the face there. And then five points for Teal'c, basically, at the end when the two Teal'cs get to <laughs> kill Cronus. <laughs> It's five points reference because it's basically, uh, I come to avenge my father. My name is Diego Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello! My name is Diego Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! And then, you guys, Samantha Carter basically self-destructs herself with a bomb and kills the gold except i didn't know that sam was going to survive what i thought it was when i wrote down this note was um you'll recall in the episode oof shit what is the one where daniel oh my god now i have to remember the title daniel goes through the mirror and sees alternate earth being invaded by apophis point of view something through time crossing over Right, uh, Snorkel, Albuquerque, 
Um, there but for the grace of God is the name of the episode. So in that episode, um, they're fighting every corridor. And in the very last instance, Samantha Carter is in the control room and she says, she's got her hands up, she's being captured. And she, she says, wait, I've got something to tell you. Oh yeah, I also want to blow us all to hell. And she just rips the pin out of a grenade and everybody goes kaboom and she saves, you know, she buys people some time. I thought that's what she was doing here by getting whatever this girl, crazy lady scientist's name is to uh, dissect Robot Daniel and blow her up. I thought they were blowing everybody up and doing a self-sacrifice again, but she wasn't. She escaped and she did the other thing, which also is in the movie I, Robot. You know, I am a robot. Let me put my hands through the force field. I can withstand it. That's why I was built. <laughs> um, but I, Robot comes out way later than this. I think it's like 2004. How did you like that movie, I, Robot? Now, having read almost the entire... Uh, Isaac Asimov robot uh, series in a big collected edition. I gotta say, it was it didn't have all that much in common, <laughs> have much to do with it, but it was still a good movie. Just a slight waste of the source material. Anywho, how did I get onto this? Yeah, Tilk, yeah, action, stuff blowing up, we're gonna pull out crystals and shoot people coming down corridors. It's all just a general action ending to this episode, and that's, at this point, a little bit, you know, <laughs> yawn. <laughs> yeah, another one of these where we escape at the very end and blow shit up and kill the evil bad guy. And Tilk and Tilk get to kill Cronus for our father. And it's kind of like uh, uh, Austin from 10 minutes from now, <laughs> from Austin Powers 2. <laughs> But anyway, it's bye-bye to another gold. We have... Earthlings have taken out quite a lot of system laws, <laughs> all things considered. <laughs> On the other hand, we also set free uh, Osiris, who's gotten away <laughs> off of her, who escaped our clutches. Oh, I miss you, Dr. Sarah Gardner, so much. <laughs> anyway... All the, the robots, they're dead. This, S, this SG-1 robot version is not going to make it, which is a shame, because they'd be very handy in a tight spot, these lads. And it's a little bit, you know, leaking all the mechanical gooey fluid. It's a little bit like the synthetics from the Aliens series. Alien? Aliens? Uh, Bishop, I guess. thought you never miss Bishop. You never said anything about an android being on board. Why not? It never, never occurred to me. It's just common practice. We always have a synthetic on board. I prefer the term artificial person myself. And there, right at the end of the episode, is that line about you know O'Neill dying. Are we so? Are we really not real to you still? And they absolutely, completely missed the entire forty minutes opportunity to make the episode about the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz wishing, if you know, if only I had a heart. Um, because this O'Neill is all about action and making jokes and I am better than you and kaboom, kablam and blah blah blah. <laughs> and they try to shoehorn this line in right at the end that that was his character arc the whole time is to prove his humanity to people who only see the non-human parts of him. And that would have been great. They totally missed it. <laughs> and then at the very end of the episode, a hot, 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 
lands on the uh, pyramid, and that's the end of the episode. And um, as a quick sidebar, one of my favorite podcasts is Are, Are You Talking R.E.M. Re-Me, which is a spin-off podcast of You Talking You Too to Me, <laughs> which is done by Adam Scott and Scott Ackerman. And uh, it's an amazing, super, super awesome podcast. I'd take a little bit of inspiration for it. They just go through all the records of U2, and now they're on to R.E.M. And I only really know R.E.M. I don't know U2. But every time they say it, they say, we're talking about the band R.E.M. <laughs> and every time I want to say it, go old Hatak Vessel, I want to go Hatak Vessel. Just like they do. Anyway, weird, bizarre tangent over. And it's the end of the episode. It's 95 points. And this is this po- pops it into the top 10. And it uh, knocks out the episode Solitudes, which was on 60 points. And, um... Yeah, yikes. We'll have a look at the scoreboard at the end of the series, which is in one more episode's time. But anyway, um... Yeah, 95 points, eh? It really got knocked up quite high by those 50 Simpsons points for the why you little... (laughs) Anyway, and the director commentary for this episode, it's Daniel Jackson, I mean Michael Shanks, and James Tishner, visual effects. Um, And it's really cool. Just for a moment, you know, uh, wow, Michael, Michael Shanks, Shanksy talks about... um, trying to give the Jafar in this in his episode a whole lot more power and gravitas. Because in the original film, I mean, Ra only had, like, five Jafar, and he was controlling a whole planet, and it only took one of them to defeat the entire squad, you know, beat the shit out of them in the pyramid. And they had guns and explosives and shit. <laughs> you know? Whereas the Jafar in the TV series have been tending towards the damn stormtrooper kind of side of things. So that's something Shanks is trying to say. And that they, that actor they got, he's like one of the tallest actors in the world <laughs> to play that gigantic Jafar. That was a good move to go towards that. Um, yeah, and um, he basically said that's what he was trying to play with when he was um, thinking about the scenes with Robot O'Neill kind of bragging. Like, you guys need me because I'm the only one who's strong enough to take down a Jafar. A Jafar is a, is a fearsome warrior. Um, <laughs> so it's nice that they tried to bring that back into the TV series. I would love it if Jafar really were fearsome warriors that still killed humans at a ratio of five to one. That would be amazing. But they really are becoming dumb stormtroopers that are only useful when they're in a mass. <laughs> um, and that's pretty much the only interesting thing. I mean, it, it is worth listening to just to hear Shanksy talk about something interesting. And James Titchener has usually got very interesting um, technical things to talk about all the time, if you're into that kind of thing. But that's that's basically that episode. So we're going to move straight on to Exodus. It's the season finale. Thank you for hanging around with me, and uh, let's move on. <laughs> 